Hello, and welcome to the Occupied Thoughts podcast, a project of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. My name is Sarah Ann Minkin. I'm Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Foundation. Today is April 4th, 2023. What you're about to hear is a recording from a webinar that we recorded this morning about the Kohelet Policy Forum. You'll hear references to resources that we shared during the webinar. You can access those references on our website, www.fmep.org. Go to the events and then the events index, look up the Kohelet Policy Forum webinar of April 4th, 2023, and you'll see the whole list of links that we shared. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much for being here. Hello and welcome. I'm Sarah Ann Minkin, Director of Programs and Partnerships at the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Welcome to Spotlight on the Kohelet Policy Forum, how a far-right, U.S.-funded Israeli think tank is working to shape policy and law in both the U.S. and Israel. Jewish Currents is co-sponsoring today's conversation with the Foundation for Middle East Peace. Thank you, Jewish Currents. As Israel's far right has gained political influence and momentum, including the current government's plans for judicial reform, the Kohelet Policy Forum, a formerly low-profile, pro- low high-impact Israeli think tank, has been making headlines, increasingly making headlines. These headlines include articles in the New York Times and Haaretz and The Intercept. We're going to be posting these links. They're all going to be available on our website. Two key parts of this story are insufficiently understood and examined by the media. These are the ties between Kohelet and right-wing fellow travelers and funders in the United States, and also Kohelet's years-long efforts to influence policy and law, not only in Israel, but also in the United States, both at the state and federal level. So today we're holding a conversation among experts who have been researching and documenting the activities and funding of the Kohelet Policy Forum, including its transnational connections and the impact of its work in the U.S. and in Israel-Palestine. I am truly delighted to be here today with four experts in this field who I'm going to introduce in alphabetical order. First, Ron Cohen. He's a media campaign and strategy consultant, as well as a social and political activist. He's the founder of the Democratic Bloc, which supports civil society organizations in Israel, including through media support and investigative research. Ron is a former director of Physicians for Human Rights Israel. Lara Friedman is the president of the Foundation for Middle East Peace. She's a leading authority on the Middle East with particular expertise on US foreign policy in the region on Israel-Palestine, and on the way Middle East and Israel-Palestine-related issues play out in Congress and in U.S. domestic politics, policies, and legislation. Yusuf Munayer is a non-resident fellow at Arab Center, Washington, D.C. He writes on the Arab-Israeli conflict and is a member of the editorial committee of the Journal of Palestine Studies. He is widely published and holds a Ph.D. in international relations and comparative politics from the University of Maryland. And Iran Nissan is the CEO of Mechazkim, which is a progressive digital movement that promotes the values, ideas, and solutions of the Israeli left. Prior to joining Mechazkim, Iran headed the education and advocacy department at Peace Now. 
Moran holds a BA in political science and philosophy from Ben Gurion University and an MA in emergency and disaster management from Tel Aviv University. And he is a certified dog trainer. So we're going to start with you, Iran. We're going to start with why we're talking about Kohelet now, about the regime change in Israel. So I want to ask you to start, what is the Kohelet Policy Forum? Where is it based? Broadly, what is its agenda? What is its vision for Israel as a society? And who are some of the major names and people associated with the organization? So first of all, uh, thank you very much for this platform. I think that it's uh, an important conversation. And I will say that uh, Ran and myself, we, we work together, we are colleagues, and we've been waiting for over two years that the Kohelet will be not a household name, but at least in the spotlight. So the Kohelet Policy Forum is the most influential organization uh, in Israel today that influences the current Israeli government policies. And it's been published that the Kohelet Policy Forum orchestrated the judicial overhaul. It's a think tank. And I think that to just call it a think tank is uh, to misrepresent what they're doing because it's been more than a decade that Kohelet have been operating and they're not the same um, strategy. They're not the same impact that maybe an American, even a very influential American think tank. They far exceeds the regular works of a think tank, uh, research, legislative uh, uh, arm, position papers. What Kohelet Policy Forum are, they are the locomotive, the, the, the spear front of a bigger ecosystem of ultra-conservative, neoliberal, settlement Jewish supremacists that are leading a long-term ideological and political project to bring, to import the ideas of the fringes of the Republican Party the talking points, the issues, the values, the ideas, and to combine them with the most right-wing, hardcore um, annexation arm in Israel. The Kohelet Policy Forum uh, was established on January 2012. And in this decade, they reached maybe unprecedented power inside of the Israeli political system. Um, Ran maybe can afterwards talk about what they've been doing in the past decades, but in this context, right now, we're talking about them because they are the ones that wrote the policies, the legislative initiative that are causing all the turmoil, the political crisis right now in Israel. Specifically, the ideas are something that to an American audience, just imagine the Koch brothers on steroids. That's the idea. Privatization of healthcare and education, uh, annexation of the West Bank, uh, uh, an assault on unions and workers' rights. And right now we're talking about undermining the separation of power, the checks of balances in Israel's government. And their vision is something that is very radical, very extreme, very dangerous as I see it, but very foreign. 
It's something that to an Israeli ear is foreign. The ideas, the talking points are something that maybe are very, um, let's say, normal in, in the American political discourse. But right now, Kohelet are the ones that are leading the attack. They are the ones that are backing the politicians in Likud and in the settler right. And they're promoting not only the ideas, but they are the one that wrote legislation. They are the one that give the support with um, cherry picking uh, research that they that turns into the campaign that the current coalition and government are leading. So we see them that they're well-funded, they're well-connected, they're very trained in leading these kinds of um, legislative projects in order to change Israel and to promote their vision that I mentioned before. I think I will stop now and then we can go into the specifics of it later. Terrific. Thank you. That was a great start. So talk to us about how you got interested in this work. Why did you be, why did you uh, start researching it? And um, maybe Ran, maybe you'll start with that question. Yes, well, um, um, thank you again for, for inviting us for this conversation. Coilet Forum has been active for uh, the last uh, decade or more, but yes, they've been um, active behind the scenes and in the shadow. Um, but in the last few years, we could see um, their influence becoming a more and more public. And I think that the peak of that was uh, Pompeo's statement and the fact that the Secretary of State actually stood there and thanked personally Kohelet Forum. This is something that you usually not, you don't see uh, these uh, high-ranking politicians thanking uh, um, an NGO, but he took the step and the attention to actually give them the credit for helping with uh, um, um, promoting the uh, uh, Pompeo statement that is actually, uh, uh, let's say, um, stating that the settlements in the West Bank are not contradicting the international law and, and so on, which is a major change in, in American politics. Um, so that was a, a, a red sign for us. Um, when, when, when we looked at the uh, political environment in Israel and understanding how much how much Coelet uh, Forum is even is not discussed but is influential, and you consider Pompeo, Netanyahu, and so on, uh, together with people from Coelet Forum standing on the same uh, um, stage. Um, and later on, a few months later, when the COVID nineteen uh, um, uh, pandemic uh, broke out, we could again see how much Coelet is influential in uh, uh, influencing the governmental policies around uh, around dealing with the pandemic, um, which part of it was bringing up front ideas that were um, contradicting to any uh, say Israeli um, uh, social values like uh, uh, canceling the minimum wage um, as part of dealing with the economical uh, uh, crisis that the pandemic brought or exempting employers from paying social benefits uh, limiting financial assistance to families and workers and so on. 
Uh, so Kohelet became more and more um, influential all out there. And, and that uh, led us to look a little bit more deeper um, into their work and into their uh, finances and donations as well. But also we need to remind ourselves that we are working here in a context where the um, left-wing camp is constantly attacked about its funding, about its uh, activities, about its role and so on. While the right wing, we, did, we, we know nothing about. It's working there without any criticism at all. And part of it was uh, an attempt to actually go deeper and, and understand not only Kohelet Forum, but how does the right wing work in Israel and where does it get its money from and where do they get their agenda from and where do they get the sources of um, influence and so on. And so, yes, I think that we can put the Pompeo statement as the first sign that made us think that, okay, this is something that we should look deeper into. And we found, yeah, a bigger story than that. Great, thank you. So the Pompeo statement was, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, that was 2019, and then COVID in 2020, and so it's it's been developing. So before we, we launch deeper into what's happening with the Israeli government right now and the plans and Kohelet's influence and, and, and part in that role, can you talk about how it has advanced its agenda up until this point in Israel? What are, what are some of the laws and policies it has worked to enact? And what are some of the laws and policies it has worked also to block? Like, give us its, um, its first tier and its second tier priorities. Yeah, I can start with the first tier a little bit or just the highlights. So yeah, Pompeo Declaration is one thing, but we can also talk about the regulation law that actually tried to retroactively legalize Israeli settlements. And, that, and, and of course, the nation state law, a law that was um, um, very controversial in Israel, polarizing between um, between Arabs and Jews, between the right and the left and so on, and, and is seen as a racist law that uh, declares Israel as an exclusive Jewish state and so on. So this is the first tier, the, the nation state law, the regulation law, and what we see today, the judicial uh, coup that is happening. Uh, the override clause, the, uh, the changing of the committee to appoint judges, the, um, uh, legal the legal advisors law, and so on. These are the, uh, let's say, the, the first and foremost, the most important issues that Kohelet is promoting on the political part. There, there are also um, economical issues uh, that they're um, advancing. Um, looking much more into privatization of uh, of uh, education education system of healthcare and so on, and I think maybe Iran could uh, uh, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so we can see that throughout the years, Kohelet were working behind the scenes, and maybe that's one of the sources of their strength. 
because they weren't and they weren't very keen on taking credit. And even in uh, so this project is they would like us to call them conservatives. We don't call them conservative. This is too easy. This is frames the discussion in this conservative versus liberal, which is not in Israel. It's Jewish supremacists against the equality camp. But in the first uh, conservative convention, or like the neocons of Israel convention, Moshe Koppel, an American-born, the founder and president of Kohelet, he stands there, and maybe he felt a little bit more uh, too comfortable. And he said, like, these are the things that we're going to work. And one of the things it's he said, we don't need to take credit. The credit goes to the politicians. If they mess it up, it's on them. If they succeed, they should take the credit. If we're not very um, minded on getting our logo and our signature and the credit on everything, we can get things done. And by doing that, they tied very close relationships. Seem to have lost Iran for a the moment. Fact? You're back, Iran. Go, back. go, go back, go back two sentences. We lost you for a second. You were talking about Kohelet using not this credit. method. Yeah. So using this method of not taking credit allowed them to create very close relationships with Naftali Bennett and Gidon Saar, with Ayelet Shaked and Nir Barkat, with Amir Ochana, and even now in this government with people like Bezalel Smotrich. The fact that they can provide the the support system. And also the campaign system. So the in relations to what we're talking about right now, the attack, the assault on, on separations of power, and specifically on the Supreme Court, what the Kohelet policy form and this ultra-conservative ecosystem, they identified the sources of left-leaning or let's say more liberal and democratic institutions or the power centers. So the academia, journalism, or free press, the Supreme Court, civil society, and organized labor. And in the past decades, they directed their efforts in order to undermine each and every one of these power centers. So right now we see the Supreme Court as being the, the, the main, main thing in the conversation, but in the back we hear the Minister of Communications, Shlomo Kali, an extreme right-wing politician, he wanted to appoint a former high-ranking Kohelet um, researcher to be the director of the Ministry of Communications, to be the contractor to dismantle public the broadcasting, but also uh, free journalism. We can see yesterday, Bezalel Smotrich, the Minister of Finance, directed his office to sue the Histadrut, the biggest and oldest workers' union in Israel, for threatening a strike last week as part of the, the resistance to this overhaul. And we can see efforts directed at any, all fives of these power centers. And they do this by working top down. So with the politicians directly providing legislation and the legal advice that they need and the policy papers and the support, but also bottom up. Kohelet has been pouring money into right-wing civil society to reorganize how the right-wing in Israel operates. And this can be said on the pro-annexation, pro-settlements organizations. We can talk about how they co-opt the, um, the, the Forum for Civil Society, which is a right-wing um, knockoff of Shatil and Ayef to provide capacity building um, 
um, operation for right-wing civil society, but also how they work to frame the discourse. And they frame the discourse as this confrontation between the elected representatives of the people and then the professional uh, bureaucrats, the people that are the gatekeepers in the legal system, in the finance system, in civil society, because they are the ones, they are the obstacles on their way to annex the West Bank, to dismantle the welfare state and do all the horrible things that we talked about before. Maybe I'll just jump and add that we can also see now how, for example, the head of the of Kohelet legal department is now an official part of the negotiation, uh, is a representative of the coalition in the negotiation between the coalition and the opposition around the uh, um, uh, judicial uh, uh, overhaul legislation. And there are only four representatives, he's one of them, um, a Kohelet researcher who was appointed recently vice general director in the education ministry and so on. But more importantly, it's not just what they're doing, it's what they're not doing. And there are a few issues that Kohelet are a bit more careful with touching. And these are what they're calling Caesar issues. These, these are issues that are um, dividing between the uh, right itself, between the right camp itself. And these are uh, religion and state. This is an issue that Kohelet Forum is not touching. Um, abortions, not discussed at all. Um, moving from a people's army to a more professional army. This is also some, something that Kohelet is not doing. And, um, legalization of prostitution or drugs. These are Caesar issues that are dividing among the right-wing camp. And, the, and this is where they don't do any work because they understand this is not for their benefit, at least for the moment. And when you say religion and state, Ron, what, which issues are you referring to? Uh, whether it's um, um, the uh, rabbinical courts and their uh, and their uh, role in Israel society, whether it's um, laws like even seen recently, or whether it is uh, allowed to uh, enter with chametz. Chametz is like uh, bread uh, in Pesach, in Passover to hospitals, uh, dividing or um, 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 yeah, dividing state and religion and so on. These are um, issues, whether public transportation will work on Saturday or not, uh, whether women can be a part of rabbinical courts, um, issues like that are issues that are uh, dividing between the right wing camp and this is where they're not active or very minimalist, minimalistic uh, approach. Great, thank you. Thank you both. For I can, yeah. can I add just one thing that, that it's important to understand that the division in right, of right-wing and left-wing in Israel is very, very unique. And when we imagine the potential base of Kohelet that these Caesar issues divide, on one hand, you have secular libertarian, like atheists, 
that that they the like the don't tread on me crowd that we don't want we want a like a Grover Norquist I don't want to abolish government I just want to make it small enough so I can drag it into the shower and drown it in the bathtub like we want a very very small government and on the other hand you have the settler hardcore um ultra orthodox community that they are very very pro annexation and pro settlement and just imagine something like expanding settlements expanding settlements could be a Caesar issue because it's to uh, expand public spending because we're doing public housing in the occupied territories. And one would have thought or could think that uh, taking uh, privately owned Palestinian land is something that would be ideologically uh, problematic for someone who believes in liberty and personal rights. But the Kohelet Policy Forum, you said first tier, second tier, their annexationist settlement, um, messianic, ultra-orthodox dream uh, take precedence on their neoliberal economic right-wing libertarian ideas. So when you put them in a corner, you say, should we take privately owned Palestinian land and uh, expand public spending of the government in order to build more set, uh, settler settlements? They will say, yes. It's not a problem for them because they prioritize this Jewish supremacy over the other stuff. I thank you so much for all of that clarification. And I think that that's really important for our audience. If you if you listen to um, Moshe Koppel in his own words, he'll say we are both libertarian and conservative. And it seems confusing to imagine how a libertarian would want government to expand in the ways that they want government to expand and take control in terms of annexation and, and settlement. So you've presented that to us and the the um, the priorities in terms of what their Jewish agenda is very clearly and I appreciate that. I wanna ask you one more question uh, before we uh, intentionally bring Lara and, and Yusuf deeper into this conversation. Um, just, what is happening right now with the judicial reform? What is Kohelet's role in this regime change, judicial, judicial and legislative overhaul? Speak to us specifically about what, what uh, in what ways Kohelet is involved, please. So, Kohelet has been pushing this campaign for this uh, very necessary changes to the, the judicial system for years now. They were one of the prominent voices talking about the need to weaken the Supreme Court uh, to create um, ways that the parliament, the Knesset, can override Supreme Court's judicial review. And we've seen them pushing it through videos, policy papers, conventions, but it all culminated on January 4th, where Yariv Levin, the newly appointed Minister of Justice, presented his um, first step of a three-step plan to change Israel's democracy or to do a regime change. And he started his speech by thanking Aviad Bakshi from the Pohelet they call it policy form. So you see, again, we have, we have a, a, an organization that is insisting on staying behind the scenes, but Michael Pompeo is spilling the beans or Yariv Levin is spilling the beans by saying, I want a lot of people worked on this thing, but I want to specifically thank the Kohelet Policy Forum or Aviad Bakshi. And the first, this first step was consisted out of four different legislations that uh, due to a very successful and persistent public um, resistance and demonstrations and protests, uh, three out of the four parts were suspended for now. 
And the fourth part, which is the most important one to Kohelet, to the coalition, but also to us, is the way that Israel appoints judges, and specifically Supreme Court judges. And this is very different than the United States. It's not a political, uh, it's a different system, the parliamentarian system. And we had a committee that is consisted out of not only the opposition, the coalition, but also uh, Supreme Court judges and members of the, the lawyers, like the Bar Association. And what this coalition is wanting to do is to take over to take over, to make the process of selecting judges to be purely political and give the government almost total control on the selection of judges. And just to understand how dangerous this is, in Israel, we don't have separation of powers. The executive branch, the government is sitting inside of the legislative branch, the parliament, the Knesset. The fact that a lot of the ministers are also members of Knesset means that this is one branch. And if you give the government slash coalition, uh, the, the parliamentarian majority, also total control on the selection of judges, you mean that you don't have separation of power at all. You don't have checks and balances. Kohelet are the architects of this thing. So I will I will tie it with like the 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 image or the metaphor. We've been talking on running over the Supreme Court with uh, D9, with a big tractor. This was like the, the image because it was a right-wing politician that says that we need to run over the Supreme Court. Now, a regular think tank might have said, yes, the Supreme Court should be demolished uh, with the use of a tractor. But Kohelet, because they're heavily funded, because they're deeply connected, because they have also standing in the right-wing conservative media, they're not just saying we need to to demolish the court. They are the ones that are paying for the tractor. They are the one that trained the driver of the tractor. They are the ones that make sure that there is a positive campaign in the media, uh, reviewing how it's important, how it's the best thing to demolish the, the Supreme Court with this tractor. And they are the ones that will hold hands with the politicians on the ruins of the Supreme Court and with it, Israel democracy and applaud themselves about how, what a nice job we've done. Thank you. Um, speaking of that funding, speaking of their 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 deep pockets, Yusuf, I want to turn to you. Can we talk about the the U.S. role, both with respect to the leadership of Kohelet Policy Forum and to its funding? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, there's a number of different uh, ties here uh, that uh, connect uh, folks, uh, you know, at Kohelet uh, to uh, the United States and individuals in the United States and activities uh, in the United States. Uh, the founder, of course, uh, of uh, Kohelet, uh, Moshe Koppel, is an American uh, from New York who moved to Israel. Uh, of course, in the New York Times story, he claims that Kohelet is the brains behind the Israeli right wing. Uh, if, if anyone has been looking for the brains behind the Israeli right wing for some time, we've found them now. Um, he uh, also insists, as has been mentioned, uh, on working quietly and without uh, getting credit, which I think is very important, and I'll, I'll return to that um, later. Um, uh, Eugene Kontorovich, of course, who's a director at Kohelet, uh, moved to the United States as a child uh, from Ukraine uh, and then later moved to Israel in 2013. Uh, although I believe he lives um, or has lived in a settlement in the West Bank. 
Uh, he's, of course, active transnationally. He was a major force behind unconstitutional anti-BDS legislation. Um, and he's also tied to uh, the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs, where he's been listed as a fellow. Um, and the uh, JCPA, the Jerusalem Center, is a nexus of individuals who've cooperated closely, of course, with the Israeli government's global repression efforts against Palestine activism, many of them working in uh, Israel, but also in the United States um, at, at different times. Um, another connection is through a fellow named Jerome Marcus, who's a, a fellow at the Kohelet Forum, uh, and he's uh, involved in a U.S.-based law, uh, lawfare organization called the Debra Project. Uh, Marcus uh, was also the attorney that represented Donald Trump in an election lawsuit in Pennsylvania, again in Pennsylvania in November uh, 2020. Um, and going deep down the rabbit hole several years, he's also known for having been the person who tipped off Ken Starr many years ago about Monica Lewinsky's relations uh, with President Bill Clinton in January of 1998. So um, politically, these folks are, are very much uh, on the right. Uh, many of them have connections uh, for years with the U.S.-based uh, Federalist Society, a major force within right-wing politics here in the United States. Um, the, the funders, the reporter funders, uh, Arthur Danchik and, and Jeffrey Yaz, um, uh, are important to kind of pay attention to here. Yaz, of course, is a Pennsylvania-based uh, right-wing billionaire and mega-donor to right-wing causes and ideology. Um, his donations have fueled groups here in the United States uh, and uh, many of them locally in Pennsylvania that have worked on union busting, uh, banning abortion and the so-called critical race theory, uh, fighting against climate regulation, uh, really a wide range of sort of, of, of right-wing um, activities. Um, he's also a major donor to something called the Club for Growth. Uh, alongside Richard uh, Uline, which which um, is a 501c4 that backs Republican candidates. Uline has also been reportedly connected through financing with several groups that were implicated in the January 6th insurrection at Capitol Hill. Uh, Danchik is, is a partner with Yass in uh, this Susquehanna International Group, which is which is their, their joint business. And together they do philanthropic giving through something called the Clause Foundation. Um, this foundation supports a range of right-wing and libertarian causes uh, and, and uh, also right-wing uh, Zionist groups. Uh, it's a, it's a U.S.-based 501c3, um, and so is something called the American Friends of Kohelet. Uh, but despite the transparency required of such groups, uh, in the U.S., clause does not appear to directly fund American Friends of Kohelet, but people should check out the Haaretz reporting on how those uh, connections do exist. Uh, instead, and, and this is so common in this, this, uh, this universe of, uh, of giving for these causes, um, it, it likely passes through uh, pass-throughs, uh, like donor-advised funds. Uh, for example, the 990s, uh, the, the, the tax returns of uh, the Clause Foundation, uh, and, uh, you know, American Friends of, of Kohelet um, do show connections if you dig deep enough. Uh, and uh, Clause, for example, gave to a donor-advised fund uh, called Fidelity Investments Charitable Trust. Uh, and the way these funds work is, you know, they'll take your money and they'll essentially direct them to where you want them to go. And they act as a, a kind of cover for these activities so that donors can 
support causes that they don't necessarily want to be tied to publicly. Um, and you can look in some of the years in which um, the Clause Foundation gave to Fidelity, Fidelity gave similarly large amounts uh, in those same years to American Friends of Kohelet, which of course then passes on the funds to the Kohelet Forum in Israel. This is actually super common uh, and uh, goes against the, the very principles of transparencies that, that these organizations, these 501c3 organizations are supposed to um, uh, are supposed to adhere to. Last, I would just say after the Haaretz expose, um, it's understood that the, the, the funding mechanism shifted to something called the Central Fund uh, of Israel, uh, which um, despite the name is actually not based in Israel, but is based in New York. It's a US based, uh, again, 501c3. And this is very much a, a black hole, uh, you know, when it comes to the funneling of, of money to Israel for many right wing Zionist organizations, including in many settlements. And this acts as a, a central pass through for many philanthropists who want to support some of these right wing causes, but do not necessarily want to take the credit or have the credit assigned to them, uh, which brings us back to this this principle of sort of secrecy or behind the scenes uh, uh, behind the scenes support. Um, so these these connections are, of course, um, significant, and there are many of them. Uh, and 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 these are actors that are working uh, really in the United States and in Israel, and oftentimes doing so very seamlessly, uh, as if there is no as if there is no geographic divide. Thank you, Yusuf. That was so um, so thorough and 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 terrific to have it all in one place for you to lay all of that out for us. So thank you. And Laura, I'm I'm going to ask you in a moment to talk to us about the politics and, and the legislative links. But before we do that, I want to follow up on one thing that Yusuf just said about the um, funding, not taking credit, and also there being some murkiness around what, what is funded and, and who, who is doing the funding. Um, and Iran, I wanted to ask you to speak to that issue specifically around the funding and the, the, some of the lack of clarity around understanding how the funding is working. Yeah, so the two names that are being repeated and tied to Kohelet were Jeffrey Ass and Arthur Danchik that, that Yusuf mentioned. But in the recent uh, New York Times article, there's this attempt to distance Yas from Kohelet. But what we know, and this is a, a interpretation of how we see things, what defines the Kohelet policy forum work is misdirection and smoke screens the use of smoke screens to the the real agenda to the way they operate but also the sources of the funding and we see yas and danchik as bad faith actors that built this elaborate mechanism in order to keep them anonymous but we see that yas and danchik in many not only in their business endeavors but also their philanthropic endeavors they operate in many times as one economical unit and the fact that Jeffrey Yass was uh, is in hot water for various uh, uh, issues on American politics does not mean that they're not working together, that they're not coordinated, that they're not pushing the same vision. And it's important to understand that unlike people like Sheldon Edelson that, uh, or maybe other um, entrepreneurs or businessmen that maybe have economic interests. So this corruption uh, mechanism, what we see with Yasin Danchik that it's 
pure ideology. We're talking about people that sits on the board of the Institute for Justice and the Cato Institute, that they are aligned with the Koch brothers, that they are giving money to campaigns to promote this libertarian extreme right-wing ideas. And this alliance, this ultra-conservative alliance, is something that we need to look and maybe think about where we can build uh, not just the opposition, but the alternative. What can we do to strengthen the alliance among liberal forces and progressive forces and the, this camp that strives for equality and peace and the dismantling of systems of oppression and injustice that the Kohelet Policy Forum with their friends uh, across the Atlantic are promoting? Thank you so much, Iran. Lara, so I want to ask you, this transatlantic alliance that uh, Iran and Yusuf and Iran have laid out for us, Talk to us about specifically focusing on the U.S. What are the laws and the policies that Kohelet or individuals or, or organizations that, that are associated with them that they're working to see adopted and enacted in the U.S. and up on both the federal and the state levels? Sure, and thank you, and thanks to everyone else on this uh, webinar. I'm, it, it's really a, a rich discussion. I, I do want to just very quickly pick up on the funding question, one piece of it, and, and if folks listen to or watch the interview with Moshe Kopel that he did at the 10 year anniversary, which I think was put into the chat. There's a really telling moment at the end when the interviewer asks about the funding and who the funders are. And he says, well, we, we respect the, the privacy of our funders, which is really rich coming from an organization which led the effort in Israel to pass a law that effectively says the left has to say it's funders or, or it proves that they're foreign agents. Um, it's it's a really quite quite a quite a gutsy statement. Um, in terms of the U.S. side of it, look, uh, like Iran and, and Ron, I mean, like I'm really happy to see people talking about Coalette. I think myself and Yusuf and others who work on the U.S. side of laws targeting the Israel-Palestine issue have been paying attention to Coalette for a long time and wishing other people would. Um, I first became aware of Coalette back in 2014, 2015, when a guy named Eugene Kontorovich suddenly burst on the scene. And, and from my perspective, he seemed to be everywhere. He was writing in the Washington Post articles, effectively arguing in favor of, um, you know, whatever Israel did was legal under international law, and here's why. And he and I sparred a bit in, in print on the question of whether or not the U.S. should effectively erase the green line and treat settlements as no different from Israel during the Obama era. His argument was, of course, that yes, they should, and that Obama was wrong to not treat settlements as part of Israel. But then, you know, you sort of see this, you see this develop. And I, I want to be clear for people who are listening, you know, the the interesting thing with Coalette Forum is while they're they're not big at self-promotion, they're very much on the record. So it's not really like a, you shouldn't attribute intent. I'm very much against attributing intent to anyone, but I am in favor of taking them at their word. So for instance, you know, Yusuf mentioned US laws, laws that have been found unconstitutional by, by numerous courts. Um, Supreme Court declined to rule, but at this point they're still considered unconstitutional in numerous courts. Um, I mean, Eugene Kontorovich has publicly taken credit for this legislation. I, I, I pulled up uh, his bio that he submitted when he testified in Congress in 2015. And in the bio, it said, Professor Kontorovich also plays a leading role in the drafting of laws about Israel boycotts in U.S. states. So it's not some conspiracy to say there's this role. Whether he does it in the name of himself or the universities he's working for at the time or Kohelet Forum, 
it's him and he is the director of the international law program at Coelet Forum. And he is effectively claiming, and I believe him, <laughs> to be a key, if not the lead drafter in legislation, which has now spread across the majority of U.S. states seeking to quash free speech of American citizens, or he would argue quashing to completely legally bar them from boycotting things that Israel doesn't want boycotted. Um, and he's, he's testified in Congress, uh, just to be clear, in terms of impact, Testifying in Congress is a big deal. Um, most of us have never testified in Congress, or if we do, it will be a rare thing. Um, you know, groups like uh, the Foundation for Defense of Democracy, FDD, during the Trump era were constantly in Congress. Okay, Eugene Kantorovich testified in Congress eight times between 2015 and 2020 and seemed to be out there laying out policy recommendations that were, were reflective of the Israeli government view and that were generally adopted and articulated by Republicans on every issue you can think of. And this included attacking the Palestinians. It included um, uh, mobilizing against BDS and calling for legislation against BDS. It was, he testified twice on the need to move the embassy to Jerusalem and why the Obama administration was violating US law. And for instance, on the sovereignty in the Golan. And this really, you know, there's a there's a very direct line between this legislation, it would seem to me, and, and Secretary of State Pompeo in 2020 declaring the Pompeo Doctrine at a Coalet Policy Forum event. Um, so the, there's the, the, the very strong U.S. side of this, which is, you know, now that the world is suddenly paying attention to Coalette in Israel, I think they maybe are missing the story in the U.S., which is that while Coalette has quietly been enormously um, active and effective, let's give them credit, tremendously effective in Israel at shaping the political, um, the political currents to where we are today, in the U.S., they have played, I would say, a parallel, enormously effective and quiet role of shaping U.S. policy to where it is today when it comes to anything related to Israel-Palestine. And, and this is something that is, I, I think, again, we've whenever we talk about outside influence, there's nothing illegal about this. I mean, you can like it or dislike it. This is, this is how the game is played. They have played it enormously effectively. The fact that they've played it without any real scrutiny is I think something that is, that is maybe of more interest. Um, the last thing I'll say here, and this speaks to the broader agenda, obviously I focus on the Israel-Palestine piece of the agenda. I would encourage people if they're trying to understand who Coaled is in the US and how it relates to Israel to look at CPAC. I mean, there's, there's two things. One, the model of how they operate in the US parallels how they operate in Israel, which is similar in my view. The thing that is most similar to is, is ALEC, right? The American Legislative Exchange Council. The Again, going back to Moshe Koppel's um, interview, he talks about why they're so effective and he's clear, it's not just that we have great ideas and great policy papers, we talk to politicians. No, we come with draft legislation. And that is the model that they have also followed. I don't want to say replicated. I don't want to say which came first. They've certainly followed that model in the U.S. to great effect. But I would also say look at CPAC. And most tellingly, I would say look at um, Eugene Kantorovich's appearance at CPAC in, I think it was 2022, when CPAC was held in Hungary, in Budapest for the first time. And, and, and listen to him as he describes a worldview. And it is a worldview where railing against um, wokeism, railing against recycling, 
I mean, there's there's a great line in there where he he he, he rails against the having different colored bins to put your garbage in fits in seamlessly with the uh, you know Israel's rights to, to the land or the, the entire the entire anti woke agenda linked to the the Judeo Christian Jewish supremacy agenda, which says that what Israel is doing is right and just, and if you are part of this overarching um, anti-woke, I'm going to use that language agenda, and supporting Israel as a piece of it. And, and honestly, that, that video is something that everyone should watch. Thank you, Laura. So Yusuf, talk to us a little bit more. Laura just laid all of this out to us from a policy perspective, but um, can you focus specifically around the issues of free speech and activism when it comes to Palestinian rights? and in Israel also, and, and look at the role of, of Kohelet as it relates to that broader story? Yeah, I mean, I think with all of the things that we've discussed today, there, there were two elements that really, to, to me, seemed uh, to be very common with a lot of what we see in so many of the efforts to target free speech and activism on this issue. Um, one of them is around sort of the, the shadowy giving and the lack of transparency in finances. Um, and the other is this idea of, um, you know, not wanting to take credit or standing in the background of um, uh, certain activities. Um, this reminded me very much of something that the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, which of course was the Israeli government agency tasked with uh, going after the uh, boycott, divestment and, and sanctions, uh, called the no logo policy. And it was a principle in which they operated uh, under. And the idea here uh, was that they did not want to have their logo. They did not want to have their branding. They did not want to be taking credit for the activities that were silencing dissent for a couple reasons. Because number one, it wouldn't really look good uh, to have uh, a government taking credit for these activities. Uh, but also because they didn't want to complicate the relationships they had with their partners who did not necessarily want to be seen as working directly with a, a government uh, to achieve these outcomes. Interestingly enough, uh, a fellow at the Kohelet Forum was formerly an official at the Ministry of Strategic Affairs, and he's written extensively on how Israeli foreign affairs should be reformed, including around the fight uh, on, uh, on BDS. Um, but, uh, you know, this this no logo policy uh, was one of the reasons why the uh, Ministry of Strategic Affairs created something called concert, which many of uh, the, the viewers and listeners might be familiar with. And this was a public benefit corporation, uh, which uh, essentially was put together so that you can have this plausible deniability, so that you can have actors receiving money uh, from one entity without necessarily having to be seen as connected to it. Um, you know, Mr. Koppel might say it's because they respect the privacy of their donors. Uh, the Ministry of Strategic Affairs said it's because they don't want the uh, notion that these finances are connected to these activities to become uh, to become public knowledge. Um, and of course, one of the uh, main funders, if not the largest funder behind Concert, we know this from their audited financial statements, was the Central Fund for Israel. Once again, uh, the place where everybody seems to go to funnel money to stuff that they don't want to be associated with uh, in, uh, in Israel. Uh, I agree with Laura that it's ironic uh, that Kohelet is, is uh, entangled in so much of this. 
because uh, Koppel's uh, political project prior to founding the uh, Kohelet Policy Forum was drafting legislation at the time with the Likud MK, Michael Eitan, that required Israel-based NGOs to report funding they received from entities abroad. But of course, this was tailored to target human rights NGOs, uh, which receive funds from European government foundations and not right-wing groups like Kohelet and others who raise massive funds from right-wing U.S. philanthropists. Uh, Eitan said at the time of the bill, when there is a political debate in Israel in which bodies funded by a foreign country participate, it's important that the public know who's behind them and who is funding the activity. So yes, that sounds very rich today. Uh, and it sounds hypocritical. But importantly, I think in some ways, while this might seem like hypocrisy and a double standard, within a, per within a particular worldview, it is perfectly consistent. And I think that's what's important to understand here. If you think, as Kohelet does, who's behind the nation state bill, that Israel is a state for the Jewish people, and importantly here, not the citizens of Israel, but the Jewish people, donations that come from right-wing, pro-Israel, Zionist, Jewish philanthropists in the United States are still coming from within that polity, are still coming from within that, within, within that group. Uh, but donations from European governments are not. Um, and so, you know, I think when it comes to transparency and democracy and pluralism, this is obvious hypocrisy, but within the worldview uh, that they ascribe to, they don't see anything wrong with this. And I think this is part of the fundamental debate that's playing out within Israel today. Who gets to decide the direction of this country, right? Who gets to decide the policies of the state? Uh, and for, uh, for Israelis in the streets, it's primarily a debate between secular Israelis and religious ones. And of course, the people most affected, Palestinians, are left out altogether. Um, but among Israeli Jews, this is, I think, the central debate, and it intersects a lot with what we're talking about today. Thank you, Yusuf. And, and uh, thanks for summing it up in that, with, with such clarity for us in that way. Uh, Laura, I wanted to ask you if there's anything you want to comment on what Yusuf said. Yeah, a couple of things on, on the no labels thing, which I think is or the no logos thing. I, I think it's worth noting that in the US, um, the the main face of the tick, uh, uh, oops, I'll talk about the Tikva fund in a second. The main face of Coilette Forum in the US is Eugene Kantorovich. And, and he sometimes notes Coilette Fund in his bio and some or bio blurb, and sometimes he doesn't. Um, you know, I think what people, you know, here's an example. So some years back, Eugene moved from, I think he was at Northwestern, Northeastern University. Don't, don't quote me on that, whichever one of those, you can find it in his bio. He moved from there to George Mason. And there is in the Scalia Center, there is a law program, an international law program that he runs. It's his program. Um, and the name Colette Forum is not associated with it directly. And if you read his short bio blurb on that program, which he runs, it's not on there. You have to click through for his CV to see it. But there's two staff members on that program. One is Eugene Kontorovich, and the other one is Jerome Marcus, who Yusuf talked about earlier. That program is effectively an arm of the Coalette Forum in the US, operating without logos as a legal um, expert voice, weighing in mainly on issues related to Israel-Palestine and weighing in from a pretty predictable place. Um, there's no logos on that, right? And, and Eugene, um, you know, is, again, I've got to credit where credit is due. He is an enormously prolific thinker and writer and speaker um, on the Hill eight times over the course of whatever it was. It, it, 
the number of times he has testified is extraordinary for for someone on an issue like this. The number of articles he's had, if you Google him, uh, effectively what he's created is a profile of himself as a law professor expert on this. Kohelet isn't part of that blurb and it's been enormously effective. There's some questions in the chat box about connections to Christian evangelicals, to Tikva fund. I would encourage people to just Google because you can see a lot of this yourself. The main connection right off the bat is that Eugene or Professor Kantorovich, let's say, um, with respect, Professor Kantorovich is cited constantly. He is he is constantly um, speaking and writing and being used as an expert validator on positions to the far right, um, on Jewish supremacy, on annexation, on Jerusalem, on anti-Semitism, um, all of the issues that you would expect Kohlet Forum to be weighing in on, he is the expert weighing in as Eugene Kantorovich, the expert. And that's across the board. There are, there are ideological affinities there. I would also say if you watch the CPAC in Hungary conference and you see the entire framing of the panel he's on is about God. It's about, you know, agreeing under God. You should, you should check it out. Um, the part about the Tikva fund, and here I'm just going to, uh, we'll put a link in the chat, I think. There's an article in Times of Israel. And here's what the Times of Israel article says. The Tikva Fund has longstanding ties to Coalette, has made hefty donations to the think tank. The chairman of Coalette, Moshe Kopel, is on Tikva's board of directors, receives an annual salary of 15000 from Tikva as of 2019, the last year for which they have filings. Um, uh, Coppel has written about legislation on the Times, oh, that's separate. Um, other staff have also moved between the two organizations. So I'll just leave it there, um, except to say the Tikva Fund, the Shiloh Forum, which I think is actually, is closely rated. You, you have an ecosystem of organizations that have shared ideologies, that have interlocking staff, funders, boards of directors, and political allies. Um, and, and that that isn't unique, right? That's, that's part of being an effective um, ecosystem doing what you want to do politically. Again, I, I would reference this, this CPAC event where one of the people on stage, not, not Eugene, makes a comment that the left has always said there's a vast right-wing conspiracy. We need to give it to them. And then he laughs. He says, no, but seriously. And then the audience cheers. And But I mean, it's not, it's not conspiratorial to observe that these, these very strong links exist across an ecosystem of organizations that have a shared set of values and a shared set of objectives. And all of those values don't have to overlap perfectly and all of those objectives don't have to overlap perfectly. Um, you know, some of these are, are allies of, of convenience um, and, and, and you see that across every ecosystem, every political ecosystem, in this case, I think the, the the reason we're talking about it today is both because it's extraordinarily effective and because people don't seem to know about it or haven't known about it. And that's on both sides of the of the the, the ocean. Thank you, Laura. That was so uh, clear and, and, and important and useful to put all of that together. And it and it um, brings us back a little bit to what Iran and Ron were talking about earlier when they talked about the scissor issues. These are the issues that they won't work on because that this would split their the, the people who have come together and the things that unite them. As you said, here and there, people are working on the things, the issues, the ideologies that actually unite them and bring them together. They don't have to agree on everything. Lara, you just talked about an ecosystem of, of organizations. 
Um, I, I think you're, you're talking about what Haaretz actually called uh, the tentacles of the Kohelet Policy Forum. Um, and I wanted to ask Iran and Ron, or Lara and Yusuf also feel free to weigh in, if you wanted to name any more of those tentacles and any more of the ways that um, that Kohelet is working, uh, as Lara said, on, in many ways on the record, but without taking credit or uh, using this, this, uh, this phrase, no logo, not putting their logo on it. So yes, I mean, th there are a few examples that we can give. Lara mentioned one, this is the Shiloh Policy Forum. And this is a forum that is dealing uh, exclusively with promoting uh, settlements, annexation of the West Bank and so on. And this, is, this has been established directly by um, Kohelet Forum. And the leaders are former researchers of Kohelet Forum and they've been playing a major role also in Pompeo Declaration and so on. And we can also see today that they are moving from dealing just with uh, the West Bank and working um, in small steps also in the Galilee and so on when it comes to Jewish settlements. So it's not only beyond the Green Line, but also inside Israel. We can see um, the work in uh, education in Israel or the attempts to privatize education. So organizations or um, um, attempts that are called, for example, the Coalition for Autonomy in Education. Um, this is an Israeli coalition. Uh, we, we can see the connections of Kohelet Forum and the fact that some of the members there are coming from Coalet uh, Forum. Um, Next Generation is another NGO. Uh, it's Parents for Choice in Education. And the people who established that are Kohelet researchers from the education field. But, but again, you can see Parents for Education, Coalition for Autonomy, it's all about privatizing um, um, a public system. So, so we can see the Shiloh Forum, we can see uh, education. Um, a few years ago, Israel was uh, dealing a lot with um, a movement called Ani Shulman, um, that was basically a movement of small businesses, freelancers and so on, fighting for their rights. And we could see also how Kohelet Forum had a connection there. Uh, and basically one of the leaders was later um, uh, elected to the Knesset, MK Abir Kara is no longer a Knesset member, but he was there and he was um, adopted by Kohelet Forum very, very quickly. Um, and um, again, so the, these are a few examples and, and I'm sure Iran can give more, but as I said before, it's not just about organizations, it's also about, about specific people that are um, that are going into or getting like these uh, major positions, whether it's in, uh, um, for example, the um, today the legal advisor of N.K. Rotman, he's the head of the uh, constitution and law committee. That This is the committee that is promoting and this is where the discussion about the judicial reform is happening. The legal advisor has been um, a researcher in Kohelet Forum and has been, I think he left only a few months ago, I'm not sure about that. Um, 
As I mentioned, Aviad Bakshi, the head of the legal um, department, is now part of the um, negotiation team of the coalition and so on. Um, so yeah, these are a few examples of their um, arms um, dealing with I, I, other issues. Thank you. I can add that, that, first of all, we see a classic astroturfing campaign. This is a method that is being employed by Kohelet constantly, that we can see dozens of organizations. It's not only building the practice of building a front organization in order to try to mask your message and agenda as something that is spontaneous and organic and coming like a grassroots. And the, the examples that Ran gave around education are the most apparent that you see when you go and you do the, even the, the scratching the surface of an organization that has a logo in this coalition for autonomy in education, you see that the organization is listed in the Kohelet Forum offices address and 100% of its employees are Kohelet researchers. And when they are going to interview or they publish an op-ed, they say, ah, I'm just a concerned mother that I want to promote autonomy in education, but she's a full-time uh, uh, Kohelet researcher. I will also add that we talked about being pragmatic or being like outcome oriented. And, and a lot of the things that Kohelet are promoting were over a decade in the works. So not that, that just the nation law bill, but also the judicial overhaul. They have been planning this and they can look and say, it doesn't matter this time around. We have the, the this ball rolling. And at the end, we're going to annex the West Bank and it's going to take five years or 10 years. And then this way of thinking ahead and long term is something that we can also adopt in our work. Uh, but also that it's important to note that it's not about the, the the this round it's about the entire discourse that they're dragging to the right and the other thing is that they were very pragmatic up until the first Kohelet Aretz uh, expose so up until two years they were looking ways to work with Yeshatid and Benny Gantz and even to like to try and look neutralized about promoting free market ideas uh, and like on the disguise of neutrality. And that's why the Shiloh Forum, they created this straw organization to distance themselves from controversial issues inside of uh, Israeli political discourse. But because of the campaign that Ran, that myself, that our colleagues and, and, and partners and allies here, but also the United States have been running in dragging the Kohelet Policy Forum into the limelight and exposing their agenda, we actually effectively pushed them to the right. We pushed them to the fringes because we made sure that the politicians and parties that claim to be on our side, they cannot cooperate with people like the Kohelet Policy Forum. And that caused them to tie relationships and alliances with Itamar ben with Bitsal Smotrich. And I think that this just shows the power and the importance of discourse and the fact that we have 150 people here, the fact that maybe some of us or most of us will tomorrow sit in a Seder uh, uh, dinner and to talk about the Kohelet Policy Forum, the importance of, of raising the issues, the controversy, not only the problems with Kohelet Policy Forum, their agenda, their funders, their vision, but also where is our responsibility in creating an alternative, in creating a progressive liberal equality seeking and equality striving 
alliance between American progressives and Israeli progressives and see how we can direct our resources and our efforts into a political, concrete, pragmatic, but also an ideological outcome. If I could just weigh in, and just to say, as, as the Foundation for Middle East Peace, we're not pushing for any political, this is no lobbying, not organizing, this is this is informational, educational. Um, I, I would say that at this moment, I think it's also valuable. The reason people are paying attention to Koalet today is because of the, of the judicial reform. And, and this is something I can say from my family and my friends, is, is there's a lot of energy around this idea of quote unquote, saving Israel's democracy, right? I think it's really useful for people I, I get that people don't want, a lot of people want to have a very simple, straightforward goal. They see this objective as something that's achievable of saving Israel's democracy, quote unquote, by saving the Supreme Court, and don't want to have that, that hopeful picture of victory muddied by talking about things like Jewish supremacy and, and Palestinians. But the fact is, it, that is part of the the, the story, right? You, you really, when, when Peter Beinart gets an his and not a great reception speaking over the weekends at a park in New York when he says this, and they're like, don't mess up our, our nice uh, protest by mentioning the Palestinians. This is progressives. I, I think we need a corrective. Part of that corrective is reminding people that the forces behind what you're unhappy with right now with the Supreme Court, their agenda isn't just trying to get more control over gay rights and women's rights and the economy and education. The overarching goal, and Moshe Kopel is very clear about this when he talks about the organization, and Iran and Ron, you know, mentioned this when you listen to them lay out their his priorities, why he created the Koalet Forum in the first place, his number one issue is Jewish supremacy. He doesn't use that term, but is this? He's saying unapologetically a Jewish state for the Jews, and and you establish this organization because you see the government walking away from that. You can listen to Koalet um, at different in different environments. Them talking about the dangers of what they see as a post-Zionist educational system in Israel. It's not prioritizing teaching children about Jewish supremacy and the righteousness of Jewish supremacy. It's in this secular Western what they see as post-Zionist. That's what they have to fight. Fundamentally, this battle over the courts is a battle for whether or not there is going to be a Jewish supremacist state or what they fear is a state that's increasingly about equality, not just within the green line and not just for Jewish Israelis, but for everybody. So I think it's a really important corrective. Understanding Koalet and its motives is an important corrective. And, and it should be an important corrective also for, for you know, all the politicians across the political spectrum who view um, the experts, and I'm gonna, let's call it experts and what they are, that are speaking on behalf of Koalet, often without logos, particularly in the United States, and presenting themselves as subject matter experts when actually they're advocates. And they have every right to speak as advocates, but they have to be understood as advocates of a very specific worldview that, you know, probably is something that unless you are an Orban friendly right winger in Europe or the US, it's probably a view that is antithetical to what you believe on everything, except maybe you've made an exception on Israel, which means maybe that's a good sign that you need to look in the mirror and examine um, what you're getting into. Thank you, Laura, for um, summing up our, our whole webinar just there and for the and for the mic drop. 
Um, as we're coming to a close, I just I just want to ask Ron and Yusuf if there's any if you've and and Iran if there's any any anything final you want to say to our audience. Ron, we'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, Lara summed it up perfectly, but I'll just add that we need to understand that that uh, that the political project of Kohelet of, uh, uh, and the fact what they're leading is an attempt to reshape Israel and to reshape the Israeli right in, in an image that is similar to the Republican fringe, American Republican fringe in, in many, many ways. Um, uh, and the other, and, and part of what they're doing, and I think that people are, in Israel are more concerned with that than with Palestinians and so on. And this is our work, of course, to, to help people understand the bigger picture. But people are feeling that what Kohelet is doing is attacking the social values of Israel, the solidarity between people, the mutual commitment between people to help each other. I mean, it's, it's, it might be a little bit, when it comes to American audience, so talking about um, a universal health care or universal um, education is, is something that, that is not uh, natural. But in Israel, it's, it, it's a value. It's a, it's a natural thing. This is part of the security web and the, uh, and the solidarity between people. And, and I think that part of what makes people so angry about Kohelet and talking about them so much is understanding that what's attacked is the, the solidarity between citizens and, and the commitment between them. And this is important to understand it because this is a way to talk. If we want to um, talk to the hearts of people, we need to find a way to, uh, to help them understand that. And it's not always by talking first about supremacy or about Palestinians. It's talking about the social values and moving from there to, to the bigger picture, which is the important one, I agree. And there's a long way to go until people could see the entire picture of what this political project is all about. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Iran. Thank you, Lara. Yusuf, I'm going to give you the last word. I think just in closing, what I would say is we must focus on the reason why groups like Kohelet are behind these kinds of uh, the, the overhauls to the judiciary system, why they're so fundamentally opposed to the principle of equality being enshrined in law. And that's because they have a specific agenda about what is supposed to happen in Israel and Palestine, what is supposed to happen between the river and the sea. They have a agenda focused on annexation. They have an agenda focused on a on a particular understanding of what it means to be Jewish that has obviously uh, alienated a very significant portion uh, of the Israeli population. But the primary victims of this agenda are Palestinians, and it's important to understand that just as uh, Kohelet and their allies value uh, the 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 transnational nature of an alliance for for change so too must those who oppose uh, these policies and, uh, and want to stand up to them and for the rights of Palestinians, uh, we, we, must, we must do the same and act, uh, and act likewise. Thank you, Yusuf. Iran, Ran, Lara, Yusuf, thank you so much for this discussion. Thank you for, for 
uh, your deep dives into this topic, um, for being so obsessed and, and seeing the importance and the urgency of mastering all of this information and these connections and, and uh, digging underneath the surface and coming here today to present all of this to us. Thank you so much. Um, I want to thank all of our listeners for being here also, and also to remind you that we have shared a lot of material, a lot of links. Um, everything everyone talked about today is deeply backed up in newspaper reports in 990s, in uh, a lot of investigative journalism and research. Also, uh, Iran's organization, Mechazkim, has put out great videos on Kohelet that I really recommend everyone watch. There's both in Hebrew with English subtitles and a new updated one just released two weeks ago in English. All of this information is available. Uh, everyone who is, uh, is, is listening today will get a, 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 uh, a link to the recording um, of this video and all the links that we've shared today. So please know that that's coming to you and you can share it, pass it on, pass it wide. Um, thank you so much for the questions you asked. We got a lot of questions in our Q&A today and we wove them in, uh, tried to weave all of them in and we will continue to, to use your questions, uh, the, the listeners' questions to guide the conversations that we will hold in the future. Um, and I want to welcome everyone to check back at the FMEP website, www.fmep.org, for a list of, of all of the resources that we've been talking about, also all of our other events and announcements of, of upcoming events, uh, webinars, and podcasts. Thank you all. Ron, Iran, Lara, Yusuf, thank you again. Thank you to our listeners. Until next time, thanks so much.